Asbury, Methodist Village, and Montgomery County take senior living to the next level, creating extraordinary opportunities for a fulfilling future. Work your brain and body in our new wellness center. Stroll our expansive campus and 17-acre nature preserve. Stay sharp with our resident-run college and find so many new ways to get involved and make a difference for others. Anticipate more from your retirement. Visit asburymethodistvillage.org today. Your future's here. Equal Opportunity Housing Provider. Montgomery County, Maryland is where businesses go to be next. Home to a highly skilled, diverse workforce, a thriving business community, competitive incentives, and more. MoCo will help transform your business. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com to see how we can help you be next. Welcome to the Fandrax Toolshed. If you love Dynasty Leagues and prospects, you came to the right place, because that's what this show is all about. Covering the majors and all levels of the minor leagues to give you the leg up in your Dynasty Leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clegg. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 57 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Click and Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another fun episode in store for you all today. And with me, as always, is my partner in crime, Mr. Chris Clegg. Chris, are you still riding the high from last night's NLCS clinching win? Oh, just a little bit, man. It was kind of crazy. It's been 22 years, 1999. I was five years old, so I obviously don't remember that, but hey. <laughs> The, the brave so it's kind of cool the braves last won the world series in 95 i was a year old my son now is his first baseball season so it'd be kind of cool to say like you know have that story with him like tell him one day yeah you know 20 27 years ago the braves won the world series <laughs> hopefully it's not that long but you, know, you never know so yeah it's uh pretty awesome to see hoping that tickets go on sale in the morning so i'm hoping to get tickets to one of the games in atlanta so we'll see how that goes but i'm pretty amped I'm going to put you on record right now. What's your World Series prediction? How many games and who's MVP? I don't know. I don't like it. I, 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 hate it be, I hate it because the Braves are in it, and I don't want to be like homerish. Like, honestly, I think Houston's the better team. But, again, the Dodgers were a better team than the Braves, too, but the Braves are just playing really good baseball right now. So I think it's going to go six or seven. I, I do feel that, but, gosh, I don't know. I got, way. I got Braves in seven, Austin Riley, MVP. I, like I think that. he's like cranked a couple bombs. Get like 400 and something, but I think it's going seven regardless. Should be a good series. I think so. Should be a lot of fun. Absolutely. But let's uh, let's bring on our guest now. You can find his work both at uh, for baseball and football over at Fantasy Pros. Brendan Tuma joins us. Brendan, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on today, guys. I like am really looking forward to this. As you know, I'm you know in the same try to be in the same streets. You know, prospects rookie wise. And I actually got a couple articles coming out this week. It should be about just kind of recapping the rookies from this past season. So coming on here kind of forced me to do that final research, that final prep work to get those ready. And I am, you know, it's in the front of the mind right now. I'm ready to go and talk through this. I'm really excited. Yeah, absolutely. That's, awesome. That's what we're going to be talking about today. We're kind of, this will be our, I think our last episode looking back at the 2021 season we'll kind of start jumping forward to 2022 moving forward here before we get into that brendan is that a red sox poster i see on the wall behind you 
It is. I do want to congratulate Chris on his Braves making it to the World Series. I know, Thank Eric, you. you and I got the the Red Sox thing going on. And, man, I, I went to, like, nearly every playoff game this year. I haven't missed a playoff game uh, more than, like, two in a row, I think, since, like, 2013. So I live nice. right here in Boston. Uh, it was tough ending, but, I mean, the, the team, I'm sure you agree, it was just, like, the season just couldn't have gone better for the, you know, the whole organization as a whole. Oh, absolutely. Like I was saying, like, yeah, it's disappointing how the season ended. We were up 2-1, then the offense went MIA for the last three games. But, yeah, it was a lot of projections had us at, like, what, 81, 82 wins. We exceeded that by about 10 or 11. I don't think anybody, even, like, Boston area, you know, writers and media members had us go into the ALCS. So, yeah, good season. See how they – how they build off it and build the team for next year so we can keep up the momentum. But it's always disappointing when you, I, Chris and I were like, dude, we're going to get a Brave Sox World Series. It's going to be epic. We're going to do some live streams. And then our Red Sox crapped their pants when it mattered the most. And everybody went into, yeah. a, went into a funk at the worst possible time. But we're not going to talk about the Red Sox tonight. <laughs> well, we'll talk about maybe one or two Red Sox players, but. Uh, we're going to be recapping 2021 rookies this year. We got a lot of names, but before we get into the show, let's get to the usual housekeeping here. You can find us on Twitter. Brendan is at too much, Tuma, T U M A. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I am at Eric Cross 04. And our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate and review. Check out our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Fantrax Toolshed for extra written content from both of us. And of course, check out all the other great written and audio work we have on the Fantrax HQ network including our other podcasts, SP Streamer, Fantasy Hockey Life, Fantasy Football Addicts, Define Fantasy Football, and Fantasy Football POV. Let's get right into it. Like I said, we got a lot of names to cover. We're going to start with the pitchers, and then we'll hit hitters after the break. Let's start in the American League East. Uh, really three big name pitching prospects debuted this year, and all fared pretty well this year. Uh, first one to come up was Alec Manoa. In 20 starts this year, 3.22 ERA, 1.05 whip, 8.7% walk rate, 27.7% strikeout rate. And then we had the pair of Tampa Bay Rays arms, Shane McClanahan, 343 ERA, 127 whip, 7.2% walk rate, 27.3% strikeout rate. And then the last one to come up, Shane Boz, only had three starts, but impressed in those three starts, 2.03 ERA, 0.68 whip. 36.7% strikeout rate. Um, so let, let's start with Alec Manoa. Brendan, uh, how high are you on Manoa long-term? I think there's like a discussion going on. Is he a fantasy ace long-term or not? I think he can be maybe like the back end, like 12 to 15 range for pitchers, but I do think he can get up to that level. Uh, so where do you have Alec Manoa long-term? Yeah, so I really like Alec Manoa. I was aggressive on him when he first got called up. I was watching some of his minor league starts on MILB TV, and he he's just a fun pitcher to root for because he kind of has that it factor, I call it. He's he's very intense on the mound. It, it reminded me of rookie season Chris Paddock, kind of just like that bravado he went to the pitching mound with. Manoa ended up, he led rookies in whip this year. He led him in batting average against. He was second in ERA and third in strikeouts per nine. He has, like you said, the 322 ERA, and then the expected ERA was 327. That's really good. He does a good job of limiting hard-hit balls against him. The XFIP doesn't like him at much. It was at 417, which, you know, if that is your pitching metric of preference, you might think there's regression coming. But for him, I just think if he can take another step forward limiting the walks, 
I think that's when we're going to be talking about him as a SP one to me. I'm not fully confident in it. I think he profiles more as like a very strong number two. And if that price gets like too expensive in 2022 redraft, I'll be out. But overall, I mean like there's just so much to like about him. Probably my favorite rookie pitcher of the bunch. Like, how about you? Do you have him as an ace moving forward? I don't think so. I think he's close. I think he's SP two though. You mentioned I'd, I'd like to see the strikeout rate tick up a little bit, including and see the walk rate go down. I mean, you look at the caper nines, and you know the caper nine looks good, but I prefer to use like strikeout rate, and it's twenty seven point seven percent, still really really good. But you know if that number ticks up near thirty percent, the walk rate you know even drops a percentage point. I think that that would be huge for his game, and I think it's possible because he posts a high swinging strike rate, you know twelve point six percent this year, and it's pretty impressive how he performed as a rookie at twenty three years old, and even the fact that he only threw so prior to this year, he'd only thrown 17 minor league innings, professional ball 17. Like that's nuts. And, you know, he I started out over that. That is yeah. so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to think about that. Like he came up that quick and we know he pitched a little bit in triple a pitched 18 innings and he was ready to go. I mean, we saw him just absolutely dominating people. That slider is a deadly pitch. It, it may be one of the best sliders in baseball. Honestly, fastball plays up pretty well. Two, you know, sitting at 93.7, that's a solid number on velocity, but still gets high whiff rate there, gets good spin on it. I like the Arsenal. It's pretty well-rounded. like to see him use the change up a little more. But, I mean, shoot, when you have the slider like that, who cares? I didn't use the slider as your, your most used pitch, honestly. But, yeah, I think he's more than capable of making that step forward. But right now I'm still profiling him as SP2, and I'm afraid that the hype's going to be a little too high on him next year for redraft leagues at least. Yeah, yeah, more than likely. I do think he can get to that back end ace level, and I think the the X factor and whether he gets there or not, I think actually will be that changeup. And I do think, and he already had, like you mentioned, Chris, a 27.7% K rate, which is still pretty damn good. But I think there's even more in the tank there. The slider had a 37% whiff rate. Good. I think it can be even better. Like I said, this is one of the best sliders I've ever seen. It's a very good slider uh, with the movement profile. Uh, doesn't get hit hard at all. 146 batting average against, 293 slug on that this year. So I think there's more whiff, a higher whiff rate there. And if he can just improve that changeup, he's never really had a great changeup. It's always kind of been there. It's a distant fourth offering for him. But if he can improve that even a little bit, I think that would definitely help. So I do think he can get into that back end ace conversation. And another guy I think could get there. Uh, I'm not quite as high on this guy, but still very, very talented arm. Shane McClanahan, another guy, very similar strikeout and walk rates for Shane McClanahan this year. And I put out a tweet uh, probably a few weeks ago that there was two pitchers in baseball that had a whiff rate above 40% on three different offerings, Corbin Burns, of course, and Dylan Cease. But the guy that missed by literally 0.0, uh, should be 0.1% on his third offering, his slider, was McClanahan, 44.8% whiff rate on the change, 41.9 on the curve, 39.9 on the slider, but the fastball did get hit a lot. So are you, in terms of Manoa or McClanahan, Brendan, which one are you higher on long-term? I kind of, I think I'm a Manoa guy. I love both of them. You're making me pick against like my two favorite children here sort of thing. <laughs> but, uh, McClanahan, it was a little bit similar to Manoa, and he came up quickly in April and I remember watching that first, I think it was a start he had. I don't think it was a bullpen appearance, but it was during the day on a Friday and all of baseball Twitter was just like instantly going nuts. And he was so electric and it's the Rays. So you're thinking, okay, 
They might keep him around for these three to four inning spurts, but who knows? Is he going to be an actual starting pitcher at all this year? And he kind of like figured it out on the fly. And then they had the glass now injury and they just had rotation issues in general. And then all of a sudden he was their game one starter in the playoffs. So he really impressed me in that sense to where, you know, by the time the middle of the season rolled around, he was having to go six consistently. And for McClanahan this year, among pitchers for at least who threw at least 120 innings, he was ninth in Major League Baseball in swinging strike rate. If I could pick one stat to try to get an idea of how good a pitcher is, it would be that. So I think that that is uh, something that everyone else knows as well. I'm a little worried about his 2022 ADP. I am thankful that the Rays didn't make a deep run in the playoffs. One, because of our Red Sox, Eric. But two, yeah. <laughs> because then, you know, there just would have been this really big national spotlight on him, similar to what happened to Rosarena last year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm worried that a lot of these guys that we're going to talk about tonight, especially the, the ones that performed well, uh, are going to have some pretty lofty ADPs. Now, let me let me add another one to the mix before we go over to Clegg. Who would you take long-term, McClanahan or Shane Boz? I think I would go McClanahan again in this situation. I just want a little bit more of a sample size from Baz at the Major League level before I would choose him. But, I mean, what a year. He went from double-A to triple-A to the majors all in 2021. He appeared in the Futures game. He pitched for Team USA in the Tokyo Olympics. He led minor league baseball and strikeouts to walk at 8.7 among pitchers with at least 70 innings. I mean, the way he was able to cut the walk so drastically is, you know, that's what the Tampa Bay organization does. They find a pitcher who, you know, might have be one tweak away from breaking out and then they do that. And then so, so that's what led to Baz's breakout, which I think makes it sustainable. Uh, man, I, I still think I would lean McClanahan, McClanahan here again, just because he has a little bit of a longer track record in the majors, but I'd be curious to what you guys thoughts on that is. Yeah, for for twenty twenty two, I rank them Manoa, McClanahan, Boz, but long term, I think I like I might like Boz the most out of these three. Like that was something like when when I interviewed him back last April, beginning of the pandemic. Something he mentioned he wanted to work on during the shutdown was just getting back to basics, working on the mechanics, the strike throwing, and he did, absolutely did so. Uh, so I'm like I just t- was talking with Matt Williams on NBC Circle and the bases about him, and I was like. All these changes that you see from him in 2021, I am 100% buying into. Uh, he's always had the stuff, the elite fastball, slider, curveball, and changeup have come along as well. So I, I am buying um, all in on, on Shane Boz as well. On all three of these guys, I'm very high on all three. Clegg, same question for you. Which of these three are you highest on long-term? And this is what are your general thoughts on both the raised arms as well. Yeah, so next year I'd go Manoa, McClanahan, Boz. Long-term for Dynasty, I think I'd go Manoa, Boz McClanahan. I do like Boz. I think he has a another gear that we haven't seen, or at least I said we saw it this year, but over a longer a longer sample that is. So you know the strikeout rate is extremely good, and we we've known that he's he he struck guys out prior to this year, but he really saw that tick up this year. The stuff ticked up. The arsenal he made some changes. The walk rate, as as Brendan mentioned, obviously coming down was was huge for him. And so those things I think are capable of sticking when you look at the you know, swinging strike rate, when you look at the O swing percentage, those things that I think are legitimate. He gets guys to chase. He throws in the zone enough for to be effective and doesn't get hit enough. So that's why I like Boz. But I think McClanahan's track record just leads me to rather take him 
long term because we did see more at him at the major league level this year, pitching in a very tough division with a lot of in a lot of hitters parks as well. And he performed well. I do think there's maybe a little bit of regression coming with McClanahan, but overall, I'm not overly concerned. I think he's going to be a really solid arm next year. You know, obviously, I think that he could take a step forward too. But you know, I'm kind of torn. These guys, all all three of these guys, are going to be tough to value for redraft leagues because people just get so inflated and and hyped on these rookie guys, and it's easy for like the the veteran pitchers to fall through the cracks. So, you know, I tend to avoid these guys more in redraft. But yeah, in dynasty, I'd love to have them all on my roster for sure. As would I. I I, I see a future where within the next five years, like all three of these guys are maybe top twenty arms, all at least SP twos. I think they're all that talented. And I think Boz is going to be just as good as Tyler Glass. Now that's going to be a really, really good, like th- those two plus McClanahan. So uh, Glasnow, Boz, McClanahan as your one, two, three. And I still have faith in Luis Patino as well, even though he didn't really kind of take that step forward. Like many thought this year, that's going to be a damn good rotation for the Rays over the next few years. But uh, before we, we get out of the American league East here, we got to squeeze in one Red Sox pl- pitcher here. Brendan, what are your thoughts on Tanner Houck long-term? I really like Tanner Houck's stuff. He, this season, had a 352 ERA, but he underperformed that in both XERA and XFIP. So he had mostly strong stat cast numbers as well. I just worry about his ability to turn the lineup over more than two times. It's just, yep. he, I think, you know, baseball in general, I know, uh, the lines are being blurred a lot more recently. It used to be you're either a six inning starter or you're a one inning reliever. And now we see a lot more, you know, pitchers who follow an opener, like your Ryan Yarborough types who might just go four innings at any point in the middle of the game. I kind of think that's what Houck's role just is long-term. I think he could be really good at that. I don't think that equates well to fantasy when we're trying to get wins and quality starts and just innings in general. So Again, I think that that thing for him would be that third pitch. He did throw a splitter more towards the end of a season. He's aware of this, that he's kind of, you know, he has the devastating slider and then, of course, a fastball, but he kind of needs that third offering. So for me, I want to read some offseason storylines about how he's working on his splitter, and I want to read. And then when we get into the season, I want to see how that's performing early on. That's the key for him to become like a legit starting pitcher. 100% 100% agree. I was going to mention that splitter. And, and he got some de- a decent whiff rate on it, 36.8%. Um, did actually perform pretty well with that offering when he was throwing it, but he only threw it about 7.5% of the time. So whether he continues with that splitter, maybe develops that kind of morphs into a changeup, we'll see. But yeah, definitely establishing that third pitch. Because against lefties, he was primarily fastball slider. And I, I just don't like when they only have two pitches they that they use against each side of the plate. So would we'll love to see that splitter or change up or any third pitch kind of be established there. So uh, definitely high on Hauk as well. Like he, that fastball slider combination is absolutely lethal. Just that slider. It's just so filthy. It's like a left, a right-handed Chris sale uh, with that lower arm slot. So uh, Clegg real quick, let's give us a, a, a non red Sox perspective here on Tanner Hauk. No, y'all, y'all know him the best. I do like that. Yeah. You, know, you saw the split finger usage really increase towards the end of the year. He was, you know, just throwing it in, in July, you know, 4% of the time, then it upped in August and September to around 9%, which is pretty encouraging. He locates that pitch really well. When you look at the heat maps, it's, he does a good job there. Slider's pretty devastating. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see him b- become a full-time starter. I think it's going to be interesting to see. But, yeah, I, I think he could be a really solid one. The only concern is, like, you know, the third time through the order type thing. 
but hopefully he can push those concerns past him because you know, I'm a big fan of what Hauk does. He could also, there's talk about him being in a closer role. So I don't know that could be interesting too, but we'll see where it goes either way. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Both, both him and uh, Garrett Whitlock. I'm interested to see what their role is going into 2022 is I, I tweeted about Garrett Whitlock too, that I'll take a late run flyer on him. Could be a starter, could be a closer. Who knows? I, I don't know what his role will be. Same thing with Tanner Hauk. So two very intriguing names heading into 2022. Let's head over to the central division. Now, uh, with the the, uh, the Detroit Tigers three-headed pitching, well, I won't say pitching monster anymore because one of them fell off, and we'll focus on Matt Manning here because he's the one that debuted this year. But uh, just in general, Brendan, you know, these three arms, Casey Mize, Tariq Skubal, and Matt Manning. First off, what are your thoughts on kind of the struggles of Matt Manning this year? Are you still in on him? And how would you kind of value each of these three guys moving forward? Man, I, I got to be really honest with Manning. I don't have a lot of positive things at all to say other than, you know, his, uh, you know, 2019 minor league season and his prospect track record. Like I just didn't see any positives to come away from, to come away with from this season. Now, that being said, you could have said the same thing about Mize and Scooble, uh, their major league debuts in 2020 because it was really ugly there for a bit. So for me in fantasy baseball this year, one of the themes, one of the things that I bought really into was getting more into the idea of development not being linear so Mize and Scooble especially like they come up struggle right away even to start the year neither was great but the Tigers you know credit to the Tigers coaching they stuck with them they found some things that worked like Mize moved over to the first base side of the rubber at one point or sorry he moved from the first base side of the rubber to the middle and that helped his command they were doing things like that to try to get these guys going so as an organization as a whole, you know, the Tigers, they're not the Marlins or the Indians or any of those organizations, but like they did some smart things with their pitchers. So I guess I'm not completely out on Manning, but I'm not thinking about him really at all entering the year. I it's a, I need to see it before I'm interested. You know, if he goes out first couple starts and does well, then I'll get interested, but I, I doubt I'll even be targeting him like late in drafts. Yeah, I, I'm kind of there with you. And I hate to say it because I've always been a big Manning guy, but he has just, you know, regressed since I last saw him in, in May 2019. The curveball is still pretty good, even though the metrics on it weren't great. But, yeah, the fastball command kind of regressed. The changeup that was developing regressed. And, you know, StatCast isn't everything. But you look at his StatCast, you know, Savant sliders, and they're all blue. Like, his the best slider is like a 23rd percentile hard hit, right? It's not good. He wasn't getting whiffs. It wasn't getting strikeouts. 14.8% of the circuit, right? It's not something I ever thought I'd see from a guy like Matt Manning, which had you know a really nice arsenal when I saw him. So, um, yeah, definitely I'm not out on Manning, but uh, he's an easy third for me out of this trio. Mize is second. I'm not huge on Mai. I think he's a better real-life arm than fantasy. Just doesn't get you know enough strikeouts. Yeah, he's you know this year, uh, each of the last two years, right around 19.5%. So, I just don't think he'll get enough K's to be more than like a, you know, SP four or five or so, even though I think you'll be able to keep the ratios in check. And then Scooball is the one I'm now the highest on, which is funny. It's kind of inverted from a few years ago. You know, he's got, I think the best combination of, you know, good ratios and a good strikeout, right? So I'd go Scooball Mize Manning now. And that's a pretty easy one, two, three for me. Clegg, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, Manning's drop off was something <laughs> i don't really know how to describe it because it was, it was just something for a, sure yeah <laughs> a huge fall off and and you had to know something was going on when they didn't bring him up last season you know they brought up mize they they brought up school and you kind of wondered 
where Manning was. There was reports that he was struggling at the alt site. And then you, you kind of dismiss those reports. And then, then you see it in game action this year. And whew, it was rough. I mean, at one point, I think he had a negative strikeout minus walk rate. Like, he did. Yeah. <laughs> it was that bad. Yeah. In the changeup, I think regressed massively this year. And I, I don't know why. It's hard to describe, but, you know, really his entire arsenal was just unimpressive, even though he does throw five different pitches. It just, nothing really got the job done for him. All of the pitches were hit pretty hard. He didn't, you know, miss many bats with any pitches. I mean, the highest whiff rate of any pitch was a slider at 22.9%, which isn't overly high for a slider. So I don't know. I'm honestly, I'm, I'm kind of out on him long term until I see something because, you know, it seems like a case where he's kind of lost the feel for things and he's probably in his own head now. So it's going to take a lot for him to come back around. Mize, you know, like you mentioned, I think Mize is just a, a good real life pitcher. He kind of reminds me of like a Kyle Hendricks type where he's not going to provide a ton for fantasy, but he like gets the job done. I love how we always go to Kyle Hendricks. Like that's when I always go to like, yeah, he gets the job done, but he's not sexy in any way to perform. It's Kyle Hendricks. Yeah, but Kyle Hendricks didn't get the job done this year. So well, maybe maybe Casey Mize is the new Kyle Hendricks, and we can maybe. start everybody to Casey Mize. Yeah, and I've always been a fan of Scooball. I, I, I loved him as a prospect. Honestly, like at some points, I thought I might prefer him over Mize and Manning, but you never fully went there in rankings. But yeah, he's taking steps forward, even though he didn't have the best year. I do think that there's a rebound in here. I think he's in for a solid 2022 season. It could be a decent buy in drafts this year. Yeah, I think I, I, I'll go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was just going to add in. I think both those guys compared to like, I mean, we never really know, you know, everything when it comes to these young pitchers. Again, like look at Paddock after 2019, but like Manoa and McClanahan, I feel like I have a much better idea of who they are and kind of where their progression is going. But Mize and Scoob, I think are still just like such works in progress. So I think that yeah. their 2022 could look a lot different, even just in terms of like the under under the radar stats and the, the entire profiles for those two. Yeah, for sure. And then kind of the add on to one thing Chris just said about how the highest whiff rate on any one of Manning's pitches was a slider. That's a pitch he didn't even throw before the pandemic. It's something he kind of added during the pandemic and debuted this year because he was really four seamer curveball change up and he, he'd mix in an occasional cutter um, or two seamer back back in 2019. But it's really just those three pitches. So that slider is his newest pitch and it's already his best. I'm using air quotes here because best if it's not really great pitch. Yeah, even even his curveball, he only had um I already closed it up. His his curveball whiff rate was below 20%, which is I I I just can't wrap my brain around that. It, it was such a good curveball, so much vertical drop on it. I just can't imagine how that has only a sub 20% whiff rate, but maybe a slight re- rebound from him, but yeah, I'm I, I got one foot out the door manning and I hate to say cuz I was a big manning guy, but uh, a couple more arms here. Let's go over to the AL West. Logan Gilbert had eh, up and down year. Started off good and went into a little bit of a funk, but then ended the season very well. Over the overall number, 468 ERA, 117 whip, 25.4% K rate, 5.6% whiff rate. Uh, where are you at on Gilbert here? Like how And how would you kind of compare him to the other names that we've already talked about, Brendan? Yeah, so you said it was a bit of an up and down year. And for a while, some of these rookie arms, you know, in redraft leagues, you're maybe adding them, dropping them, adding them back up. That's kind of what the trajectory was for me on Gilbert. But, you know, one stat that I really like looking at entering next year is that among pitchers with at least 110 innings, he finished 14th in strikeout to walk, 27th in uh, 
K rate minus walk rate and then 17th in walk rate in general. So this guy lives in the zone. He has that. He's not going to hurt himself by walking guys. He has, you know, a great four seamer. Then he has three other plus pitches and he commands the strike zone well. So he obviously led rookies and strikeout to walk. And then, you know, he was starting pitching. He was starting to pitch deeper into games towards the end of the season. He got up to 110 pitches in his second to last start of the year, and he was maintaining that velocity late in games. So I was, you know, really encouraged this year was if you, again, with these young pitches, it's not like we can just look at the ERA versus XERA or versus XFIP or things like that necessarily, because there could be a lot of skill changes. But just that base of having like such strong control. Uh, I'm I'm really interested in Gilbert. And for example, like I would put Gilbert for 2022 over Mize and Scooble, I think. I, I would too. I think I have him ranked higher. I don't have him quite ranked as high as Manoa and McClanahan, but if I can get Gilbert as, you know, like my SP3 or SP4, I think SP4 definitely, but even like a back-end SP3, I think I'd be okay with it. I think he can be like a top 40 arm uh this upcoming season and now let's add in uh, the other al west guy here luis garcia uh, the only one that's still actually pitching right now in the postseason after this the astros knocked out our red Sox. now how would you you know compare garcia to gilbert you know for me i like gilbert a bit more i think there's better command and control there garcia's kind of been a bit wild always kind of era indicators are anywhere from you know a half a run to a full run higher that was the case last year in 2022. He had a 292 ERA last year, 487 XERA. Uh, can't miss a good amount of bats, though, but not at an elite clip. So uh, who would you rather have long-term between Logan Gilbert and Luis Garcia? Yeah, I know we're jumping around here between redraft and dynasty, but for me, Garcia isn't in the same tier as some of these, you know, Manoa, McClanahan, Baz, Gilbert types for long-term fantasy value. I do like that he has a, you know, a legitimate five-pitch mix and he led rookie starting pitches and innings and strikeouts and he finished third in era so it was a great season just look at a stat cast profile he doesn't stand out really in any one area for me that i noticed and so i just think that might limit you know his overall upside long term he wasn't as high end of a prospect as some of these other guys so i would definitely go gilbert long term but because you know he might not be as you know sexy of a draft day pick as someone like mcclanahan or baz might be he could wind up actually being the better 2022 value like what about you yeah, I think you're right on that. I think just because the the name value is not there, I think that you know he could go a little bit deeper in drafts and become the better value. But you know, long term dynasty, uh, most of these guys are over Garcia. I mean, I think Gilbert's a really solid pitcher in the makings, and we saw it down the stretch. You you mentioned Brendan; he started pitching deeper in the games, and he pitched a oh, in September. He made six starts and pitched a two seven ERA, which was pretty impressive. You know, struck out 30, 31 guys in thirty three innings, walked just eight. Uh, and that was honestly prior to his last two starts were were not the best because he allowed four and runs uh, on September 24th to the Angels, which is actually surprising. But prior to that, he had just been tearing it up. And in the first four starts in September, you know, 22 innings, just a 201 ERA, 22 strikeouts, three walks. The swinging strike rate went way up during that time, which is another thing like we've mentioned that's important to look for. And so that was very encouraging for me to see. I think the strikeout numbers – will tick up for Gilbert. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of Gilbert. I think he's going to be a great pitcher long-term. And even in 2022, I think he's going to continue to make strides to be a solid arm. Garcia is an interesting one because, you know, I don't know what to make of him. He wasn't the high-profile prospect. Came up this year and just, you know, really tore it up. Obviously pitched some in the majors in 2020 as well. But, you know, he made some major strides 
this season. But again, I just wonder how much how much sustainability there is. And and I don't know. Some people really love Garcia that I've talked to. Some some are kind of out on him. So yeah, seems like to be a mixed bag there. But yeah, I mean, you still look and the whiff rates on his pitches are pretty dang good too. I mean, this cutter and slider both above forty percent. His change up at thirty nine. 0.1% is pretty impressive. And then his curve at 36.2%. So, you know, he's pushing th- four pitches that have a whiff rate up above 36%. Pretty, pretty impressive there. So the four seams really what hurts him. It's what it comes down to leaving the four seam in the heart of the zone a little bit too much. Got hit kind of hard there. Three one batting average against that pitch. But yeah, overall, I like Garcia's profile. Actually, it's kind of interesting that his profile is similar to Lucas Giolito, which is kind of interesting to me to see, according to Baseball Savant. But, yeah, I'm, like, okay with Garcia. I really like Gilbert, though. Yeah, I think Garcia might be a bit flashier than Gilbert. but And I, I've come around to Garcia. I was never a big Garcia guy, but kind of fits the mold of the Astros' arms that have come up over the last several years where – not a lot of these guys that have worked out for them were, you know, the big prospect name. There were some, you know, they were decent enough prospects, but, you know, really the the one that didn't work out was their only big name prospect for pitching-wise, that was Forrest Whitley. But it seemed like Arkady, even though Arkady had a, didn't have a great year, but it seemed to just kind of elevate these guys, get the most out of them. So uh, it's given me some confidence, more confidence, I should say, in Luis Garcia. In fact, that he does have four pitches with, you know, a 35-plus percent whiff rate. I think he could be a solid, you know, SP3 for fantasy, you know, mid three ERA, you know, 26, 27% K rate guy. I think that'll play. So uh, I'm definitely in on him, but yeah, not as much as the others. Uh, two more pitchers here before we hit the break are only two National League guys Trevor Rogers of the Miami Marlins and Ian Anderson of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, let's start with Ian Anderson here. It's funny because you look at the surface numbers weren't as good this year uh, as his rookie year in 2020 358 era 195 era back in 2020 but you look under the hood and a lot of like the whiff rates the swing and strike rates the contact rates etc chase rates they're all pretty much in line like give or take you know a little bit um, with his 2020 season so uh chris i'll go to you first here since you're the the braves fan in the house are you know, are you kind of expecting a bounce back from anderson next year and do you think he can be a I would say a top 25 dynasty yard moving forward. And I don't even know if bounce, I'd go bounce back. I think he had a solid year overall. I think this kind of who he is. Yeah. You honestly. think this is who he is? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to, there, there may be another level here, but yeah, the strikeout rate did drop a, a good bit from last year, which I think could tick back up. Like that's probably the, the biggest area where he regressed was that strikeout rate. And it's kind of interesting to see because he always struck out a lot of guys in the minors. Obviously, we've seen him pitch well in the playoffs. He's just kind of a bulldog in the playoffs, which and it works. Yeah. You know, you look at the XERA, it's at four three zero this year. Kind of concerning, but that's just because he got hit hard and you know, allowed some barrels. The max EV was pretty high there. Not a sexy stack cast profile, but I feel like he's you just watch him and he just gets the job done. His biggest struggles through the first inning. It's been kind of documented now if you if you've watched any the Braves, they, they kind of hit on that like every time he pitches, how he struggles through that first inning of games. But once he gets settled in, he gets going. And obviously encouraging last night, you know, against the Dodgers where he cruised through that first inning and obviously set him up to perform well that entire game. So I, I think he can step back. You know, there's just not step back, but take a step forward, back that strikeout range and see that 
tick back up a little bit. Cause like you mentioned, the whiff rates are still there. So I'm not like discouraged by any means. And he's still young. That's important to remember just 23 years old. So I do think there's another gear that we'll see. And I think that, I don't know if I go top 25 dynasty, but I do think he's like a, a solid SP three, you know, back in SP two type for dynasty. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. That's kind of where I am on Anderson. Uh, and the guy I like even more that I'm, I might be one of the higher ones around on now, just looking at everyone's rankings here, uh, Trevor Rogers, you know, he started off just dominating. He was like a top 10 overall arm for most of the season. Then he, you know, he was out for a bit with that personal issue, came back, wasn't quite as great. But overall, the numbers look very, very good with him. 264 ERA across 25 starts with a 115 whip and a 28.5% K rate. X ERA was a bit higher at 337, but still very good. Got the three-pitch mix, which what I like with Rodgers is that he throws all three of his pitches to both sides of the play. He'll throw that change up to both righties and lefties. Same with the slider, so I like seeing that. Uh, 40.8% whiff rate on the slider, 33.7 on the change. So I, I'm I'm in on him as like a, a high end SP two and maybe even an ace. I think he has back end kind of ace potential long term for dynasty leagues. You know, Brendan, what what are your your thoughts on both Anderson and Rogers? And do you think either one can elevate their game higher than what we've already seen? Yeah, so I'll start with Rogers here. Only two rookies from the past 25 years threw as many innings as Rogers did and had a lower ERA. They were Jose Fernandez and Walker Bueller. So obviously he's in great company in terms yep. of getting off to the start to his career. I mean, that changeup is obviously what does it for him. That changeup is so good and it allows his fastball to play up. I found this so interesting. So again, 2020 was a pretty small sample, but in 2020, kind of similar to Mize and Scubo, he struggled. It was a 6-11 ERA. This year, he had a 2.64 ERA. Last year, the expected ERA was 3.55. This year, 3.37. Last year, expected FIP, 3.67. This year, 3.54. So those under-the-radar numbers were extremely similar in both years. Obviously, the ERA took a big jump. He was a much better pitcher this year in general, so that is to be suspected. Now, if you buy into those you know, XERA and XFIP, you might think that he'll regress a little bit in 2022, unless, you know, he makes another jump in terms of his o- of his overall skills. So I think with Rodgers, like I really trust the strikeout stuff. I think he's always going to get good strikeouts. I think for 2022 and beyond bec- becoming, you know, that solidified really high-end dynasty arm, it's going to come down to workload. And that's just something I don't feel comfortable in predicting with him yet. And it's not that I don't think he can do it. It's just, I think, you know, maybe next year the Marlins extend him a little longer and build up those innings. And then the year after that, we're hoping that he becomes like a full workhorse. What even is a workhorse in MLB anymore? So uh, so if he ever, you know, really just consistently starts going six, seven deep into outings, I think that's going to do it for him on a per inning basis. I love him. I just I, 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 I don't know how you guys try to predict that for workload with these young pitchers moving forward. Yeah, it's difficult for sure. Uh, real quick before we hit the break, out of all these arms we just talked about here, let's look back at the outline here. You can take two for Dynasty League's long term. Which two are you taking? Clegg, you first. Oh, man. A lot of good options. I know, right? It's a tough one. Probably Manoa and Baz, two of the first two we talked about. All right. Brendan? Yeah, it's definitely Manoa as one of them. I have a feeling you're going to say Trevor Rogers here. 
I'm going to go with McClanahan. I can make a case for Baz and Gilbert as well. I know I just gave like five names. It's definitely Manoa. <laughs> I'll go McClanahan second. All right. Yeah, it's tough for me. It's it's down to like the three that stick out for me are Manoa, Boz, and Rogers. Uh, I gotta, I'll go Rogers and Boz. Manoa is a very, very close third, and McClanahan not far off either. But um, you know, a lot of good names we just talked about here. Uh, let's go ahead and take a quick break. On the other side, we'll come back and talk a lot of good hitters. So don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back from the break. We got Brendan Tuma with us from Fantasy Pros talking 2021 rookies and their 2022 and long-term outlooks. Let's go over to the hitting side of things here. And, of course, we got to start with my boy, Jared Kelnick. Where else would we start on the hitting side of things? Uh, so, obviously, Jared Kelnick didn't have quite as good of a year as uh, many were expecting, including myself, but did kind of kick it up into a higher gear uh, in September. And overall, even though he hit 181, you know, 265 OBP, 350 slug, you know, the surface slash line was terrible. There's no other way to put it. But under the radar, like, he was on like a 25, 80, 80, you know, 10 type of pace, even through all these struggles that he had. So uh, that is still very encouraging. You know, he still hits the ball pretty hard. Uh, so obviously I'm still 99.9% as in on him as I was back in April. But uh, Brendan, let me, let me get your thoughts here as a, you know, an impartial uh, third party, not a, a Jared Kelnick truther like I am. What were your thoughts on Kelnick this year? And has your long-term, you know, dynasty kind of outlook for him changed after his rookie season? He's such an interesting dynasty rank. Cause I feel like for, you know, the whole pandemic and then this year coming in, it was, you know, the top two were Wander and Kelnick, Wander and Kelnick. They kind of got tied together probably unfairly on Kelnick's side, at least in that regard. I, I want to say it was uh, the Welsh, you know, fellow prospect guru, Chris Welsh, who made this comparison, but he compared Kelnick to Bryce Harper in the sense of when Bryce just goes on these crazy hot streaks and he's, he's just like in the zone. And I, th I think that's the type of hitter Kelnick is like you, you watch him when he gets hot, he is just pulling everything and lifting into the air. And then when he gets cold, it's it just everything, you know, doesn't look right. So whereas mm -hmm. again, we're not trying to compare Kelnick to Wanda here because Wanda just had one of the craziest rookie seasons that I can remember. But I think that Wanda is just going to be a lot, you know, safer, even like week to week. And Kelnick's going to have some like, high highs and maybe some low lows. And that's just going to kind of be who he is as a player. Overall, I think it'll add up to, you know, I don't think it's going to be, he's going to be Brandon Lauer, you know, Joey Gallo or that type of extreme, but, but I would just, you know, brace fantasy managers and dynasty league managers for, for those types of runs. And, you know, don't be selling low on him. Like definitely now, if you have him in dynasty, hold on, you know, September was really promising. He had a 135 WRC plus. And I, I just love the stat that he was the youngest Mariner to have a two homer game since a rod. I just, I just think those are like little moments that tell us, mm. yeah, maybe this, this guy is something long-term. So I, I, I would be honest, like I have to dig him like a tad, but you know, long-term he, he is still just like a stud. Yeah. So, so you're still pretty much in obviously. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I even, I even, I dropped him a little bit in my rankings. You kind of had to right with, with the performance he had, but yeah. Um, what I kind of, Look at when I look at Wander, I've kind of called him like Aussie Albies with a ton more batting average and OBP. Uh, I think he'll be like a 25, 15 type, maybe 30 home runs. And I think power speed for Kelnick will be similar, uh, maybe a little more power uh, than than Wander. But then obviously Wander has the huge average OBP advantage. That's kind of where I'm at with these two now. But yeah, I'm still, like I said, as in 
on on Kelenic now. I think he's a great buy low. Uh, definitely showed some some promising signs end of the season. But uh, Clegg, where, where are you at here in this discussion? Yeah, and you you look. You mentioned strong September. He had a zone contact rate of eighty nine point eight percent in September. Overall contact rate of eighty percent. Super encouraging there. And even during the season, like you know, while he struggled, he still had solid zone contact rate, which is encouraging. I think that he made some minor tweaks in his setup and mechanics that really helped him out some, honestly. And there was the talk about the change in the batting stance a couple times, like throughout his minor league career and how he got things going. And then this year, something was a little off when he got, first got to the big league level. You know, I think I still think he's a top 50 dynasty guy, but you know, I'm not as high as I once was. I do think he comes around. I think he's going to have a solid year next year. I think we see that batting average tick up. The OBP obviously tick up as well with it. And you look, and the power speed was there this year. He was pacing for a pretty solid season at 14 home runs, six stolen bases, over 377 plate appearances. So that's encouraging. I think I think you'll see seasons from him where he, he's like 30-15. But I do think the batting average may be like a 260-270 type, honestly, long-term, which you know I think that does ding him a little bit because you look at Wander, who is like a 300 pure hitter and at 20 years old is pretty impressive but yeah still like Kelnick had to drop him a little bit but I'm in now real quick with Wander do you think 2022 is the last year that he's not a first round pick like you think he's gonna be annual first round pick top 10 dynasty guy starting 2023 and just never stopping I don't think so I don't think the power is is there personally I, I think that is solid power but I think he's more of a 20 home run guy. I don't I don't know how much he steals. I think he's maybe a 2010 type player. Batting average is great. That just doesn't say first round to me personally. So more of like a second round guy. I don't even know if I'd go there on I mean, yeah, the batting average floor is so safe, but if I mean, obviously it could be more, but a 2010 type player, I feel like there's more upside guys there that I'd rather take even with the safe batting average you get from them. I think All right. I think one of Wander's things as a prospect was just it wasn't even that he had like the crazy highest ceiling of any prospect we've seen. And that's why he was always number one. It was just that he had such a high floor of being like a good big league hitter. And I think that kind of extends into fantasy. And for me, like I fanboy fanboy over Wander more so as just like a baseball hitter than I do as like a fantasy player, if that yeah, makes sense. Because yeah. I also have like a lot of questions about the steals. And I know so much of what, you know, our analysis can be driven, but you know, by power speed and just thinking of fantasy in terms of Roto. So I think that'll always hold him down as well. You know, this isn't, you know, Tatis with the power speed or right. that type of thing. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree there. And as funny, uh, when I was just on circling the bases with, with Matt Williams, uh, he kind of asked me, you know, in terms of for fantasy, Wit or Wander. And I was like, well, Wit has the higher ceiling. He might not have the batting average and the OBP that Wander will bring, but he's a legit 30 30 type of power speed blend. Will Wander, I say he might be 25 15, he might be 20 10, which is still good. But yeah, not quite the 30 30 we're kind of looking for from that first round pick. And he, even though, even if he doesn't bring a lot of speed, you know, like, for a first round, you need to have either bring speed or be like a Vlad Jr. and hit 40-plus home runs to go with that high average. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting kind of discussion on whether he can be a first-rounder. I think he can, but, yeah, I, I definitely don't think it's a, a surefire thing that Wander's annual first-rounder. That might be the unpopular take, but, you know, that's how it is. Yeah, he's also 20 years old, and what he yeah. did at the major league level was extremely impressive. And that's we're not discounting that at all. I think 
He's an incredible real life baseball player. Oh, absolutely. Like one of the, he could be one of the best baseball players in the game, but you know, we, we talked about for fantasy. I mean, the power speed obviously matters a ton. So yep. to me, I think the, the power is going to hold him back for fantasy purposes a little bit. And even the speed too. I don't know how much he steals long-term. Yep. Definitely all fair. And speaking of 2010 guys, moving over to a, a less sexy prospect name that debuted this year, but put up a 2010 season, 21-12 to be exact. Jonathan India from the Cincinnati Reds really came on over this kind of the final four or five months of the season, was hitting leadoff a lot for Cincinnati, ended with a 269, 376, 459 slash line, 21 home runs, 12 steals, 69 RBI, and 98 runs scored over 631 plate appearances. I really like India. I've always kind of been an India guy dating back to his days at Florida. Like it doesn't have the super sexy profile. Like there's not a lot of like, you know, dark red savant sliders, but just really good all around. Like the on-base skills have always been robust, you know, dating back to his days at Florida. Always been a high OBP guy at an 11.3% walk rate this year. I think he's tailor-made for the top of the order, whether he's a leadoff guy or, or number two. So I think, you know, what he showed this year, I think it's pretty fair, like around 2010, a decent but not great average, but a good OBP, a lot of runs scored. I think that's pretty fair. So I'm buying him as like a, a top 100 dynasty guy, maybe even pushing top 60 or so in OBP. Uh, Brendan, what are your thoughts? I really like when I can pinpoint an adjustment that a player made and that can lead me to buy into, uh, you know, the changes we're seeing in their stat profile and everything. And for India, there was a great article on Fangraphs back in the summer about how he introduced a subtler toe tap on May 30th. And, you know, they had the visuals breakdowns of it all. And I just read it. And I was like, oh, my goodness, like this is exactly what happened to Jonathan India. Like he came in with the big leg kick and then yeah. he changed it to just one of those toe taps. And from that point on, he hit 282, 390, 491 with the 134 WRC plus. He's probably going to win National League Rookie of the Year. Now, I think for me, because so much of his value is driven from, you know, OBP. So that's going to make him more valuable if you play in an OBP league or if you play in a points league. Kind of if I had him in a dynasty league, once he wins rookie of the year, if I was more in a traditional five by five roto, I think that's my sale window. It's not because I don't like India. I think he's going to be very solid moving through it. I just think it's going to be the high point of people valuing him. Everyone loves Jonathan India. He was a great story this season. And again, if it's not, if I'm not playing in an OBP or points league, I just think the publicity he's going to get from winning rookie of the year is going to make him a tad overvalued. Yeah. And, and that'll fit right into like one of my three ideal sell high windows for prospects. Once, once they come up and Excel and we get, maybe get some hardware. So yeah, I definitely think that that's a great point you just made. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts? Yep, you're 100% right. Dynasty baseball is a, like the stock market. It's knowing yep. when to hold, when to buy, when to sell. And I think that this is this might be the appropriate time to sell on them in a 5x5 five five format. Obviously, the season was phenomenal. He had a great year. We can't discount that. Made tangible change, did a lot of things well. But I do think there may be a little regression coming. I think you can cash out and get something really good for him. So that's kind of my strategy, and I think, this is this is the peak value that we'll probably see, and it especially you know when he does most likely win Rookie of the Year, that boosts even more in people's minds, thinking, man, like I can get the Rookie of the Year. So I think that's a good time to sell personally in Dynasty. So yeah, I'm curious where his redraft value ends up. I think it might be a little high for my liking. Actually, second base has gotten a lot deeper this year, which is interesting. But 
yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like India, but I think that he's another one of those players that fits in like the the really good like real life bucket. And for fantasy, I think that he's not as strong in a standard five by five. The OBP skills are elite. There's no doubt about that. I mean, at one point he was over a 400 OBP. He, I think he had like the third best OBP in the league at one point. I don't remember exactly where he ended up, but he is still a strong, strong season for him. That was really fun to watch and a great storyline at that. And I'm pulling up, he ended up eighth overall in OBP, which is still pretty impressive at 376. But yeah, at one point he was hovering over 400. So yeah, fun story. Good time to sell high in Dynasty, but still like him. Yeah, 100% agree there. And we kind of move over to another guy that I think is a great sell high, but doesn't have a great OBP this year. Very different profile here, but a guy that's in the running for American League Rookie of the Year. That's Adelise Garcia from the Texas Rangers. Finished with a surprising 31 home runs, 90 RBI, 77 runs, and 16 steals this year but with a 243, 286, 454 slug and had the third worst strikeout to walk ratio in baseball. Only two worse were Javier Baez, of course, and Salvador Perez. And I'm sure Monty would have been on this list if he had enough plate appearances to qualify. Uh, he obviously has Tim Anderson's down there, Adam Duvall, Tyler O'Neill, a couple of the names uh, right behind Garcia on that list. I He's one of the hardest players for me right now to rank because – Part of me wants to kind of buy into like this late career, late bloomer. You know, yeah, he's got the, you know, sexy exit velocities and, you know, he's 83rd percentile sprint speed. So the power speed is there, but everything to do with approach is not, you know, fifth percentile K rate, sixth percentile walk rate. Same thing with the chase rate and whiff rate. XBA was only uh, 10th percentile. Uh, even like his slugging wasn't, you know, his X slug wasn't that great for someone that hit 31 home runs. So, Brendan, where what are you doing with, with Adelise right now? I'm, I'm assuming he's a sell high for you, but kind of where are you ranking him long term for Dynasty? Yeah, I think he just has so many factors working against him: the age, the plate discipline skills, the fact that he cooled off as the season went along. Like all of that, like any of us, anyone who you know analyzes fantasy baseball is probably going to pinpoint him as a sell high. Now that being said, like. I am in agreement with that. The only way I could see me buying in is if we have this entire offseason of, you know, everyone kind of dumping on him. And then it gets to the point where it gets so out of control that he's a buy. But I don't think that's going to happen because, you know, especially in Roto, which, again, drives so much content. He had 31 homers and 16 stolen bases. Like, that's really valuable if you can get that. But I think so much of value of Adelise Garcia this year came from that anyone who rostered him got him from nothing. And that's not to say that, okay, there's a certain point in the draft where you could take him in a 2022 redraft league and it could still be valuable, but you're just like really like it almost didn't matter that at times he struggled this past year because he was free. But if we're talking about I haven't seen, you know, any ADP on him at all for next year, but just throwing it out of the blue, like if, if we're talking about a top 150 pick, it gets a little uh, the margin for error uh, changes a lot. You look at his month by month splits. He had a 164 WRC plus in May, and he was a below league average hitter from that point on. I just hate the strikeout and walk rates. I think it's really cool that he became one of the best defensive outfielders in baseball this year. And I think that's going to keep him in the lineup, but he's just not someone I want to go to bat for this off season. Clegg, what about you? Yeah, it's interesting. You, you talk about the Roto value specifically, and on the Rasball player rater came in as the 53rd overall player in five by five just because of the the power speed, which you know people value. But you also think you're going to get you know, your batting average tanked if you're in an OBP league. He's really tanking that 286 OBP last year. Absolutely 
brutal from that standpoint. And those are things that hurt. I mean, you know, 5% walk rate, a 31% strikeout rate. And that's been kind of constant. Like the, you look back in the last time that he had a strikeout rate below 30% was in 2018 in AAA with the Cardinals at, at 23%. But even that season, he walked just 3.3% of the time. Never been a huge average guy. So I think there's question marks. I think the value is going to get a little inflated because of the power speed. And I could just see him flaming out really quick, which would, would not surprise me at all. Like we see these guys that pop up at an older age and did not to discount what he did. I mean, incredible season this year, but I could see him fizzling out very fast. I think he's still going to have a role because it's the Rangers. I mean, who else is going to play in that outfield, but <laughs> yeah. a lot could happen and he, he potentially may stop producing. So it's not someone that I want to have on my team. So I want to be on the right side of this and in, in, in dynasty leagues, if you have them, I'd at least try to sell high. It's hard to sell high because people are smart, but I'd take a solid prospect for him, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely fair. Uh, let's go to another guy that has you know, kind of a similar you know, sexy power speed blend, but hit tool and, and the approach are, are questions for sure. And that's Jazz Chisholm. He, this is a guy that started off really, really hot to the point where people are like, oh, is this guy a, a top? I saw some people asking if he was a top 25 dynasty guy which after like his first month and a half which is crazy you know he hit in uh 22 games in in april 311 388 581 four home runs nine steals and then added another uh home run and two steals in eight may games with a 278 average but though the obp and slugging dropped off the table and then rest of the year it was pretty you know a lot of the same inconsistencies still bringing the power speed one like he ended with Seven home runs and 10 steals combined in uh, 203 plate appearances combined between August and September and then, you know, the few days in October. But overall, very up and down season for for him. K rate has always been pretty high with him. He does walk at a decent clip, but uh, I think he's going to be a guy that gets overrated because of his power speed. And, you know, I think there's a good chance he might be similar to Javi Baez uh, long term, you know, good power speed blend, crappy plate approach. And he's still young. He's 23, so I think he can definitely improve upon that. But at the same time, this is not a guy I'd like to buy into. This I just hate all the inconsistencies, You know, especially if you play in head-to-head leagues. I only play in one head-to-head league, but um, if you play in head-to-head leagues, this guy could sink you for a week or he could carry you for a week. I just find those guys so incredibly maddening. But, uh, Brendan, where are you at on Jazz Chisholm long-term? Yeah, I was really high on him in April. I was having a lot of fun with him because he was a really exciting waiver pickup, you know, in most of the leagues that I was in. And But April ended up being his only month with a WRC plus above 100. Granted, it was 159, so it was a really great April, but it was just disappointing from that point forward. He kind of stole some more bases down the stretch, and he finished with 18 and 23. Again, similar to talking about Adelise Garcia, like that in Roto can be valuable, and you know, that was as a rookie with all the issues that Eric, that you mentioned, it was still 18 at 23, so I kind of want him to uh, become more of a of a steals guy. I think he has like 40 stolen base upside, so in a Roto league, it's, it's just, it depends. We need to be price sensitive though. And that's the thing. So I don't want to say I'm in or out. He's someone I have no idea what his 2022 ADP will be. If I think it's reasonable enough, then I think he could make, you know, a good mid round pick and try to, you know, 
just hope that he reaches, you know, his 85th percentile outcome and has a 35 to 40 steal season and doesn't sink you in any other categories. I think that's okay. But if we see, you know, his ADP, I'm trying to even think of what would be like top 75. Like I would be way out on that in redraft. But again, like I might be, I have no idea uh, where he's been going in like extremely early mocks or anything like that. Yeah, and Chris, do you think Jazz? Do you think there's that next level with Jazz, and he can get up to be like a maybe not maybe not top twenty five, but like you know, an annual top forty, top fifty type of dynasty guy? Do you think there's that level with him? Maybe perceived value because of the power speed, but I think the hit tool is always going to be a concern. The strikeout rate has always been a concern. There's always been inconsistency, but I think the the power speed element is going to keep him pushed up high and keep people valuing him pretty high. And I don't know. He's enticing, you know, second base, the power speed. He's tough, but I do think that if you have a high batting average floor, like he's someone you could take, but I think that he's going to always be a little inflated. I'll be interested to see, like, he hits the ball pretty hard. I mean, the average exit velocity was good. The max was was fine. He needs to get the launch angle up a little bit. Hits the ball on the ground too often, strikes out a lot, doesn't walk a lot. So there's concerns in the profile 100%, but – the power and speed combo, and you saw the ability. I mean, he mashed a 100-mile-an-hour fastball off to Grom, just sent it a mile. So the ability's there. He may make adjustments. I hope he does. But, you know, the concerns that have been there have been there for a long time on him. I was going to mention that hit off to Grom, if you guys yeah. remember that, because that that was such an insane ball that he that he got up to. That was 100, and it was up in the zone. It was Grom when he was at his best before he got hurt. That was an insane yeah. hit. Yeah, to do that off DeGrom, not many people can say that they had a hit like that off DeGrom, or really any hits off DeGrom. It's just hard to square that guy up in general. Um, Moving on to, we have a few more names here on the list. Uh, Let's go over to Andrew Vaughn, who was a, I think a preseason, you know, kind of favorite on this podcast. I know Chris and I both pretty hard, Andrew Vaughn, and and I still am. Um, Overall, you know, the quality of contact metrics were pretty good. You know, he had a 47.3% hard hit rate, 115 max ELO, 91.1 average exit ELO. You know, all of those were in the top 20% of the league. Barrel rate was pretty solid as well. Um, and even, you know, the approach, you know, wasn't quite what he had shown in the minors, but 21.5% K rate, 8.7% walk rate, that's yeah, still pretty solid. But just the surface stats weren't there. 235, 309, 396 slug, 15 home runs and 469 play appearances. And as we know, he doesn't bring any speed. And he's like, a, you know, the first base corner outfielder mode. So he has to hit. Brendan, are you still as, I don't know where you were on Vaughn before the season, but are you uh, are you still pretty high on Vaughn? Or did your opinion of him long-term kind of sour with his uh, rookie season? I think within the fantasy baseball community, especially when it comes to prospects, we always want these guys to get up as fast as you, as fast as they can. And we're always, you know, preaching free Bobby Witt and, you know, call up Jaron Duran and call up Kelnick. Why isn't he up? And, and all that stuff. And I, I, I play a part in, and, and sometimes it gets carried away in the case of Vaughn. I, I almost kind of really wish they kept him in the minors, at least for a little this past season. It just felt a little rushed. I mean, he had did. 55 games in the minors. What was the highest that he played a ball? I think it was. And he ended up, you know, then they had the whole Eloy injury and he was playing left field and he was working on that. So it, it just felt like a bit of a mess. I know for me, like, I just really love that clean prospect progression. You hit each level, you do well, you get to the majors, you do well. And the, 
I, I just like really buy into those type of players. Unfortunately, we didn't have that with Vaughn. He did have a midseason stretch where he seemed to figure things out. I read a big article about how he changed the the hand load uh, of his of his at bats and in his swing. And so, but then after that, it, it just fell off, you know, the face of the earth. And he wasn't even starting for them in the playoffs or anything. So again, similar to I keep going back to that Mize Scuba mold of this was a development year and that development's not always linear. I think that's what I take away from Vaughn with the fact that he had, you know, the prospect status coming into the season. If if he's a a, a late redraft pick next year, you know, I could see myself being interested as a bench dash and, and see what goes, but he just needs, you know, more playing time, more reps. For next year, I just want to see improvement. I don't need next year to be the breakout. I just want to see improvement. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And like I mentioned, him still showing a decent approach and good quality of contact metrics has me really, you know, hopeful and feeling good about a a nice bounce back, a nice or not say bounce back, a a good like you mentioned, a second year progression from Vaughn. I don't think Tony Larusa is the right manager for him though. They need they need like a young like Alex Cora type. A Kevin Cash type of there's all the young talent they have with Tim Anderson and Luis Robert and you know Eloy Jimenez. I think they should get a, a younger manager, but that's another discussion for another day. But uh, Chris, where are you at on Vaughn? Are you still as high as you were preseason? I mean, not quite. It's hard to be, but I think all things considered, I think it was a solid year of progression for him. I mean, he played out of position all season at a place that he had never played before. And I think you have to factor that in when a guy's trying to play in the outfield and he's never played in the outfield before, like that factors into a lot of things. You're trying too hard to focus on the defense and the mental aspect can affect the hitting aspect as well. Even still, I mean, a 90% zone contact rate on the year is elite. That's super encouraging. He did hit the ball on the ground a little too much at 44% like to see that tick down. I want to see the fly ball rate increase a little bit. I think if you see the fly ball rate increase, you're going to see the home runs increase kind of naturally there. The exit velocities are there. I mean, posted 82nd percentile average exit velocity, 94th percentile max EV, super encouraging there. The hard hit rate and barrel rate are also really, really good. I, I think all things considered, it was a good year, and I think that it's just one of those seasons where the stats weren't there, so he's not going to get recognized for it, which is fine. I think he's going to slip through the cracks. The biggest question is, where does he play? I mean, they still have Jose Abreu, if I'm not mistaken, for another year or two. But where does he fit in? I don't know. I'd really hate to see him in the outfield again. Like He's so natural at first base. Even, honestly, he could play some third base, I feel like, more naturally in the outfield. But, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss there. Who knows what happens with them? They've got a lot of these guys long-term, and who knows what LaRusso even wants to do with them. So that's that's a question that I have on him. But I do think, all things considered, it was a solid year of development for him, and it was very encouraging to me. Yeah. I think I, similar – oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. My bad. I think similar to Kelnick in, in terms of like a dynasty league, like now is not – unless someone was giving me, you know, pre-opening day 2021 value for Vaughn, then now is not the time – to sell like I, I would say he's a hold otherwise again if, yeah. if someone would give me something compared to you know when Vaughn was announced to make the opening day roster last year in the dynasty league like I think I'd be comfortable selling him but otherwise he's a firm hold similar to Kelnick I want to see where it goes yep definitely if you have him hold if you don't have him now's a great time to buy low I kind of put him in the same bucket as like an Alec Bohm who similar skill set similar prospect pedigree 
And it's kind of similar. I know Bohm struggled a bit more this year. I mean, yeah, Bohm uh, this year than, than Vaughn did, but both still have really good quality of contact metrics and have shown a decent plate approach throughout their career. We know Bohm's walk rate did kind of dip this year, but I'd be buying low on both those guys. And, and to bring in two more names here real quick, we don't have to go deep on these guys because they didn't debut this year, but they were rookies this year. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle and Dylan Carlson. You know, if you're in a startup draft and you had to pick between these three, how would you guys rank these three in Dynasty long-term? So Vaughn, Mountcastle, Carlson, rank them long-term. Brendan, I'll go to you first. Definitely Vaughn first for me. Carlson versus Mountcastle is interesting. I, I think Carlson, again, like similar to... What we were talking about, Wander, obviously not as high of that scale, but I think Carlson, he's just, he's going to profile, he's going to be like a, you know, a big league player for a while, but I don't, I'm starting to question that, that ceiling now. So yeah. Mountcastle, I, I'm not a huge Mountcastle guy either. I think he's going to end up being streaky. He wasn't as well-rounded of a hitter as we thought he might be after what he did in 2020. So I'll go Vaughn clearly mm. in his own tier. For long term, and then I'll go Mountcastle Carlson, but you could flip flop those, and I wouldn't complain. I agree with the order. I I would say Carlson might have the highest upside. Um, I have this three by a little bit over Vaughn. Um, but yeah, I, I I do have them go Vaughn Carlson Mountcastle. Clegg, what, what? How do you have them? Yeah, Vaughn is by and far ahead of both of these guys. I I personally not in on Carlson at all. I mean, he had that one good season. The numbers were inflated in 2019. I don't think the power's there as we saw this year. I don't think the hit tool's that good. It, it, he's only really hit in that one year. So to me, I think Vaughn has the by far the highest ceiling and floor combo. And then I'd probably take Mountcastle over Carlson, actually. He's displayed the power. I think Carlson does have a better hit tool than Mountcastle. It's streaky, but I just think Carlson kind of falls in that bucket of a better real-life player. I think he's just kind of average across the board and not going to be a great fantasy contributor. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely fair. Uh, we, we're, we got a lot more names on this list, but we are running out of time here. Let's just quickly go around the horn. You know, all the other names we have on this list, I don't, just pick one guy you want to say a quick blurb about. Uh, Clegg, how about you first? Oh, man, let's see. There's a lot of... I know, we had so many names. names. Like, we can't get through them all in one, ep- like one yeah. hour episode. And this one, Cabrian Hayes, we know debuted in 2020 was injured some this year. I think his stock's fallen a ton, and and for a logical reason of the injury and the struggles even post-injury, I do think Cabrian Hayes rebounds next year and has a, a really solid year. Again, he's not a sexy profile. He's a solid hit tool. He's got decent speed for a third baseman. The power, maybe he gets to 20 home runs, but I do think he's going to be an intriguing pick later in drafts. I think the stock's fallen a ton, so... Yeah, Cabrian Hayes is a guy I was in on this year and really whiffed on, but I'll be on him again next year because the price is going to be even better. Brendan, how about you? I just want to make a quick note here on Randy Rosarena. I think you could look at his season, and you know there were so many questions coming into the year. Is he legit? Is he going to live up to the hype? And you can look at his season, and for fantasy purposes, like you can argue that he did. He went 2020. He hit 274, 69 RBIs, 94 runs scored. So like those stats kind of 
you know, he he was a worthwhile pick. He didn't completely flop or bust or anything. But I would argue that too many people are going to look at it and say, okay, he got it done. Now I can trust in him moving forward. I th- I know we called a lot of these hitters a sell high, but I think he fits right in that bucket. He had a 363 batting average on balls in play. It was the fifth highest mark in all of baseball. He hits a ton of grounders. The X slug is 16th, bottom 16th percentile in baseball. And that gives me some concern for the power moving forward. So I think with the Rose Rainey, we have a case where some people might look at it and kind of like I just said, like say, oh, he got it done this year. He lived up to the height, but some of the under the surface stuff, I almost think he got it done, but it, it wasn't in the way that people thought it would happen. And it was a bit of fool's gold is the way I look at it. Yeah. And for me, uh, I just want to touch on Alex Kirilov pretty uh, quickly here. Uh, overall, surface stats didn't wow anybody. 251, 299, 423, slash line, eight home runs, and 233, uh, 231 plate appearances, excuse me. But all of the kind of under-the-hood under the hood metrics were really good. He had a pretty solid hard hit rate, 43.9%. Barrel rate was 12.8%. Uh, average exit below 91 miles an hour, max exit below 108.4. And then really the expected stats are what really should have people excited. Now, not many players in baseball had a, an XBA above 280 and a 530 or higher X slug. And Kirloff was one of those guys. And I think there's only like 10 or 12 guys in baseball. Like for instance, Tatis didn't even have that. He had a 276 XBA. I'm not comparing the two, obviously, but just saying like, you know, not many guys this year had, you know, a 280 plus XBA and 530 plus X slug. And I think that's very legit for Kaloff. He's shown that he's one of the best pure hitters in the minor leagues. Guy that could hit above 280 annually with about, you know, 25 home runs or so. Maybe he peaks around 30 bombs. Uh, so I think this would be a very good hitter for a very long time. And I think the, uh, the injury that he had this year that kind of put him out for the, a big chunk of the season and limited his rookie season will make his 2022 price tag in or ADP, I should say, and dynasty price tag pretty reasonable right now. So he's a guy I would definitely target in the late rounds next year and go try to uh, buy low in dynasty leagues. But that's to go ahead and wrap us up. Brendan, thanks so much for, for joining us. Anything you want to plug for your work right here that you've got working on? No, I'm on Twitter at too much Juma, similar to you guys. Like I, I love just to talk baseball, fantasy baseball all year round. And I, I'm really going hard already this offseason. I'm just like doing some research and 2021 yeah. wrap up stuff. My work's over at fantasypros.com. And I had a blast with this guys. Like I know we had all these names and we had to cut it off, but man, it, it would have been tempting to keep going for a while. <laughs> it, it would for have. Sure. There's always so many good names to talk about, especially this year with a lot of rookies debut and, that you know, some did good, some didn't do good, but that's the you know the life of a rookie, you know. Um, but yeah, I think that's gonna wrap us up. Thanks again to Brendan for joining us, and thank you to everyone for listening again this week. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. You can follow all of us on Twitter. Brendan is at too much Tuma with an M. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I'm at Aircross04, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of Chris and I's written work at FantraxHQ.com or over on our Patreon. And join us again next week for more Dynasty and Prospect Talk. But until then, everyone take care.